Good morning, Chapel Hill. Welcome to Memorial Day weekend here. We're glad that you have joined us for worship. So the other day, I, uh, I went Costco shopping with old people. Turns out I qualify. All of us who were 60 years old and, and older were invited to show up at 8 o'clock on a Thursday morning, and we'd have the place to ourselves. And I thought, I'm on the young end of that spectrum. I'll go shopping at Costco. I am going to dominate those old people. You know, there's a reason that Generation won World War II. They were like an invasion force. And all of them were wearing their masks. And so all you saw were their eyes. And their eyes were fierce and frightening. And it made it even more dominating. One look from them said, don't you dare get between me and my toilet paper. Cindy didn't come with me because as she told me, I'm not old enough, but I don't care. Next time, we're going to lie about her age, and she's coming along because I'm not going back to that place by myself. Of course, I'm teasing, kind of, but there was a, a certain every man for himself attitude in there that kind of flies in the face of what we have been trying to talk about in this sermon series, which we're calling Elevate Others. In a season when it's very easy to be focused on our own feelings, our own concerns, kind of selfishly turned inward, we're, we're letting the Scriptures speak to us about what it means to turn our hearts outward and to lift other people up. And I thought on this Memorial Day weekend it would be particularly appropriate for us to look at the perhaps the ultimate expression of service, and that is sacrifice. You've heard the expression Johnny One Note, Right? Johnny, it means basically a guy that says the same thing over and over and over again. Well, I wonder if the original Johnny OneNote was a guy named John, the Apostle John, the Gospel writer John. He, he wrote a lot of stuff, but if you were to distill everything he wrote down to one phrase, here's what I think the phrase would be, love one another. Nine times John or I should say, Apostle Johnny OneNote, uses that phrase in both his gospel and in the letters which he wrote, which are near the end of the New Testament. And I thought it would be fun to just kind of remind us of how often that is by saying them together. So here we go, sitting right there in your living room. Why don't you join with me and let's just make our way through them. Love one another. 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 Love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. You think he was trying to make the point? And of course he was making the point because Jesus made the point over and over again. The first time in John's gospel that Jesus uses these words is in John chapter 13, where he teaches them what he calls his, his new commandment. A new commandment I give you that you would love one another as I have loved you. And he continues on teaching. And then he repeats himself down in chapter 15, verse 12. And he adds a kicker. So listen to this text and see if you can spot the kicker. All right, here we go. John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, did you spot the kicker? 
He, he says, love one another as I have loved you. And then he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. And the kicker in this instance is sacrifice. It is self-sacrifice. We elevate others through our sacrifice. This whole section in John is called, what, is called the, the upper room discourse. He taught it on the last night that he was with the disciples before he would be crucified. Uh, and, and it was a, quite a lengthy teaching in which he was basically trying to pack everything he could into these guys so that they would be prepared for what lie ahead. And so he, in that context, he talks about loving one another. And when he says this, greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, he wasn't just teaching them a principle. He was actually predicting precisely what he was going to be doing only a few hours later. Literally, Jesus was about to lay down his life for his 11 friends who remained after Judas had abandoned them so that he might betray the Lord. And in chapter 18, we see what are really Jesus' prophetic words being fulfilled. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is what we read in that passage. So, Judas having procured a band of soldiers, went to Gethsemane with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered them, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. It says something about the power of the presence of Jesus. That when he said, I am he, the the sheer force of his words knocked his assailants to the ground. That must have been something to see. It turns out Jesus didn't need to allow himself to be arrested. He didn't need to do that. And Jesus could have called upon an army of angels to deliver him, but he didn't do that. He ransomed himself for his disciples. So, if you seek me, let these men go, he said. He laid down his life for his friends, literally. But, but those words were intended to be heard by more than just those 11 men. Because they were also written for you, for you and for me. When we read these words 2,000 years later, we need to remember that Jesus was talking to us that night. He was saying, I love you. You are precious to me. And I'm going to show you how much you matter to me. I am going to lay down my life for you. What manner of sacrificial love is this. But it turns out that Christians down through the ages have followed Jesus' example and done precisely that. I want to tell you about one of those men on this Memorial Day. We all know the name Auschwitz. It was that infamous concentration camp in Poland, which was the site of the, the, the largest mass murder in human history. 1.1 million people were exterminated in Auschwitz and went to its furnaces. And one of those men was a man named Maximilian Kolbe. So I want to talk about one in a million. In order to discourage the escape attempts, the Nazis had a rule 
that if a prisoner did escape, then 10 more would die in what they called starvation bunker. And it was exactly what it sounded like. It was a, a concrete room where prisoners were denied both food and drink and they died excruciating and slow deaths. In July of 1941, one of the prisoners did escape. And so the remaining prisoners were lined up in the parade ground and the names of ten randomly chosen men were called out. And Francis Janowicz was one of them. Upon hearing his name, he cried out, My poor wife, my poor children, what shall they do? And as he sobbed, a slight, bespectacled man stepped forward. His name was Maximilian Kolbe. And he took off his cap and addressed the commandant of the camp. He said, I am a Catholic priest. Let me take his place. I am old. He has a wife and children. And to everyone's astonishment, the commandant agreed to the trade. And so Colbe was thrown into building 13 along with the other nine, and he was left there to starve. But as the days passed, instead of the customary moanings that they had grown to expect from that building, what they heard and said were the sounds of singing and prayer as Colby was leading his doomed cellmates in worship. Of course, one by one they began to die, but it wasn't fast enough for the guards who wanted to bring another group in to torture. So after two weeks, Colby was the only one who was still standing, and they grew impatient, and so they sent an executioner into his cell. And when he saw him coming in, ready to give him an injection of carbolic acid, Colby lifted up his arm and offered it to his killer. Gajanovic, the man whom Colby ransomed, later said of that moment, I could only think, thank him with my eyes. I was stunned and could hardly grasp what was going on. The immensity of it. I condemned to, and to live and someone else willingly and voluntarily offering to give his life for me, a stranger. I was saved. For those of us who have never faced the horrors of war, stories like this can seem hard to comprehend. And because we live in a time of relative peace, these heroic heights of human love can seem unattainable. Who among us is going to be invited to lay down our life for another? It's probably not going to happen. And even if it did, how do we know how would we respond to it? We would like to think that we would be courageous enough to, to act in such a heroic way, but who can know? And yet for the first time in my life, non-military personnel around the world are doing precisely that. When I think of these first responders, our healthcare workers, and those who continue to provide the essential needs for us, all of them at a risk to themselves, aren't they demonstrating the sacrificial love of which Jesus spoke? The International Council of Nurses estimates that more than 90,000 healthcare workers have become infected with COVID. One website called Medscape maintains a growing list of every healthcare worker who has died from the disease, and it numbers a thousand and continues to grow. And you can find similar online memorials to the police officers, the first responders, the firefighters, and all of the emergency service providers who have died of COVID-19. Memorial Day is ordinarily 
reserved for acknowledging the supreme sacrifice made by those who wear our country's military uniforms. But I don't think that the veterans will remind today if we also acknowledge the warriors who are fighting a different kind of battle and who are really laying down their lives in their service to us. But as we hear this again, it seems so lofty, and the majority of us, we, we're not involved in, on the front lines of this battle. So for us, are these words from Jesus inspiring but irrelevant? I don't think so. There are ways that we can lay down our lives without losing our lives. Ways that we can lay down our, our self-interest and our comfort, our security, our fear even. I want to share some stories of those ways. I think of the man in my life group. His daughter just gave birth to his granddaughter. And he longs to hold that baby and hug her and kiss her. But because of their fear about COVID and because of the fact he has to work, he cannot do that. And so he has offered his wife in his stead. She self-quarantined for two weeks, which meant that they didn't even share their same bed. And now that wife is living with their daughter and caring for that family and hugging and kissing that baby. The very thing my friend longs to do, but cannot do that yet. He has laid down his ordinary life in the service of his family. Doesn't that count? A month ago, a a woman who, who works for a paint company She was offered, along with all of the other employees, a a box of N95 masks. She went home, turned right around, and gave all of those masks to her friend, who is a nurse that works at TG. Is that not laying down her life? Does that not count? And what about those who who serve in our local food bank? The vast majority of them fall into this high-risk category age-wise, and yet they continue to serve the poor and the disenfranchised at perhaps the most greatest time of need ever. Does that not count as well? Stories like this are being repeated every day around our community, around the world. Stories of selfless love, stories of, of sacrifice and courage, stories that inspire Stories that stand in contrast, frankly, to other stories that, we, that are beginning to trickle out. Like the story of, a, of one of the cities in our state that has a website that encourages its citizens to report on each other anonymously. Or the, the story of a woman in downtown Gig Harbor who was taking pictures of my wife as she was talking to some of the friends that she had met in the park. I find all of that chilling. This informant culture reminds me of what I experienced when I visited communist East Berlin in 1985. That's not a culture that elevates others. It's a culture that cultivates suspicion and fear. Fear of your neighbor, fear of betrayal, fear of disease, fear of death. We are better than that. We must be better than that. And shouldn't we Christians have a leg up on this culture of fear? I mean, after all, we are the people of the empty tomb. We just celebrated that at Easter. We have a Savior who not only laid down his life for his friends, but he rose back to life for his friends too and gives to all of us who love him that same promise of life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. 
Do you remember when he spoke those words? He spoke them before he raised his friend Lazarus up from the dead. Why don't you say that with me right there in in your home? Say these words with me. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. He spoke those words to Lazarus' mourning sister, Martha. Do you? And then the very next word, do you remember what the very next words that he spoke were? He said, do you believe this? Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I think it is the same question that Jesus asked us today. Do you believe that for the followers of Jesus, life always has the last word? And if so, are you living and walking and speaking in faith? I am not saying that we ought to be reckless. We should take reasonable precautions to protect ourselves and to protect others. And I think our actions as a church have borne that out. But I am saying that precaution can morph into paranoia. And that is an instinct unworthy of the followers of the risen Christ. Our daughter Rachel is essentially the pastor of Montreat College in North Carolina. This last week we were discussing the ways in which she is ministering to those on her campus in this season of corona. And then at one point she just kind of blurted out, I am not afraid of death. And of course this comes from the girl who rides motorcycles, skydives, and bungee jumped off the highest bridge in the world. So that comes as a surprise to no one. But shouldn't that be the mantra of every Christian? I am not afraid of death. Paul said to the Corinthians, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And when he was writing to the Romans, Paul said, for if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Do you see how this changes everything? If it is the case that no matter what, in life and in death, we are in the firm grasp of Jesus, then ours is the ultimate win-win situation. Frankly, it ought to make it easier for we who call ourselves Christians to lay down our lives for our friends. For the person who who doesn't believe in Christ, who doesn't believe that there's a heaven, who, who does not have any hope of life after this life, It is an extraordinary act of bravery to offer one's life up. After all, that's all there is as far as they know. But if you know that no matter what, whether you catch the virus or not, whether you are asymptomatic or horribly stricken, whether you survive this plague or it takes your life, that regardless you are the Lord's, then that changes everything, doesn't it? So I'm going to ask the question one more time. Do you believe this? Do you believe Jesus when he says, don't be afraid. You belong to me. In life and in death, you are mine. Greater love has no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. I challenge you, beloved, this week, look for ways to elevate others 
by laying down your life, your liberty, your fear, your security, whatever it is, be willing to lay that down in the service of others. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for loving this, us this much. Thank you that when I read these words written 2,000 years ago, that I can, I can believe that you were speaking them right to me. You were saying that you loved me and you were willing to offer the ultimate sacrifice because of that love. What an amazing God. What an amazing gift. And so, Lord, would you help us to believe this? We who are the people of the empty tomb, would you help us to believe that this life is not all that there is. In fact, it's a bare a glimpse of what we will one day know. And in that certitude, in that confidence, God, may we live with power, with courage, and in sacrifice as we lay down our lives for our friends. Jesus, would you fill us with your Spirit so that we might do these things this week, for we ask it in your name. Amen.